Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, uh, in a day of great innovation, uh, I think that, that people are always looking for something better. Better ways to do things, isn't there? There's got to be a better way to do it. There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a better way to be able to do that. Everybody's looking for a better uh, mousetrap, so to speak. Uh, you know, perhaps as you as you you have your phone and it goes along, you go, man, there's a new better model of phone that came out. I need a I need a better phone, or maybe I need a a better computer or a better tablet, or you know what? Sometimes we want uh, cars come out they have better safety features, right? Things that, that uh, airbags and 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 lane assist, which I don't like, um, by the way, I'm, I'm a control freak, so I don't like the, you know, when the car tries to take over, you know, and tell me that I need to go back over here. I know what I'm doing. Don't, don't tell me what to do. Anybody else struggle with that, you know, or that new fuel efficiency? I'm not, I'm like, fuel is expensive. I just don't know how, how shutting the car off and then hitting the gas pedal, it starts back up again. I don't have one of those cars, but I have rented one when I was in Houston a few months ago, and I was like, what is this? This is weird. Uh, maybe you like that, and that's probably good for you. But the thing is, we're always looking for something better. A better house, a better car, a better this, a better that. Everybody wants something better in life. Well, I've got to tell you that, that uh, as we are in the pursuit of something better, oftentimes we don't find it because we're simply not looking in the right place. We're not looking in the right place. This dissatisfaction is not always a bad thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing because we're not, we're not looking in the, the right place. So today we're kicking off a summer series of messages that we're going to dive in to the New Testament epistle or letter or book or however you want to call it uh, entitled Hebrews. Hebrews, and that's not a coffee thing, Hebrews. All right, that's a bad dad joke today. No, but, but Hebrews is all about highlighting that Jesus is better. In fact, 13 times in that short epistle, 13 times the phrase, Jesus is better, is used. And uh, after much prayer, I just found that the book of Hebrews uh, it, it really addresses this question, not only of, of Jesus being better, but just helping us to understand who Jesus is, helping us to understand what he has done for our lives. And the theme, again, throughout this letter is the superiority of Jesus over any and all religions or religious systems or anything else that is out there. The truth is, friends, Jesus is better. How many of you know Christianity is less about a, a religious system or background and more about a relationship? In the letter to the Hebrews, primarily a Jewish audience, these believers enjoyed a rich heritage, a rich heritage, a rich Jewish heritage. And when you think about their heritage, it was filled with all kinds of uh, sacrificial systems. It was filled with the law. God had appeared to them and, and given them the law through Moses. No other people did he appear and give them the law. No other people did he appear to and, and, and establish these feasts and these festivals and show up like he did for the Jewish people. There was something rich about their Jewish heritage, something rich about the Jewish uh, faith that they, that they had shared and the, the, the systems that they enjoyed, the sacrifices and, and, and the systems and the feasts that they enjoyed. There was something powerful about that. 
And then you add to that the fact that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, that he came through Judaism. There's something powerful about that. But the problem was is that many in, in, in the Jewish faith had stopped to, to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. And they'd started to just rely on the Jewish systems, their, their Jewish heritage, their, their Jewish religious backgrounds, and, and the religious rituals and activities that went along with Judaism. And so you had a people that had come to, to put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah, but there was great persecution from many who were saying to them, listen, you've got to keep following these systems. You've got to keep doing these things. Hold on a second. This following Jesus thing, I don't, I don't know if that's okay. There was great persecution calling them to come back from a relationship with Jesus and start following the religious systems and patterns of that day. Perhaps as you look back at your own life, maybe you have a history and a rich heritage that involves religion on some level. Maybe there's a particular uh, faith uh, group that you were a part of growing up. Maybe there was a particular church that you were a part of that had various systems to it uh, of religious systems that you followed. And that religious heritage provided you a foundation to be open to the fact that there is a God, open to the fact that, 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 that there's Jesus and, and, uh, and all of that. But, but at times you, you fall into the pattern or maybe you're being encouraged at times to come back and you've got to do it this way and you've got to follow this system. Sometimes we can move away from a relationship with Jesus and we can move back to following Systems. There's a pulling back to systems because there's a familiarity and there's a security to following the particular pattern and heritage and religious rituals that are involved. And for the audience that, that this letter is being written to, and I've got to be honest with you, we don't know who the author of this letter is. This is one of those letters we don't know who the author. Now, there are many people that believe it could have been Paul. It could have been a Pauline letter because it, it, it has a lot of the same types of things in it. But there's nothing that gives us an indication of, of who wrote it. Some even believe that perhaps it was Apollos uh, who might have, uh, have written that in the New Testament. Uh, others ascribe different authors. But the truth is, if I can just be honest with you, we don't know who the author is. Except that the Holy Spirit led and directed them to write what was here. They were led along by the Holy Spirit. But they're written, again, to a primarily Jewish audience that was being pulled and persecuted and, and encouraged to come back and follow religious systems and move away from Jesus being better and supreme. So today we want to take a look in, at, at this and I'd offer that today it's not much different. In our world today there is a lot of pulling uh, towards just spirituality in terms of just quote unquote spirituality. Now, I'm a spiritual person or I'm a moral person or I follow a certain pattern. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a this or a that. I don't even want to say it, you know, because sometimes there, you know, I don't want anybody to get into that. I'm, that I'm criticizing other, other faiths or other religions, but sometimes we can put labels on things. All right. I'm just going to go there. Sometimes we can say, well, you know what? I grew up Presbyterian. 
So I'm, I'm, you know, are, you know, you know. Do you do you believe in Jesus? Well, I'm, I'm Presbyterian. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, I'm Catholic. Well, I'm Baptist. Well, I'm Assemblies of God. Well, I'm this. Well, I'm that. And sometimes we move away from the superiority of Jesus, and we lean into a particular system or pattern or religious heritage, and and, and that's what was happening here. The, the Jewish folks that are being written to, these Jewish believers, were facing persecution and they were being encouraged to come back and rely on, put their faith in a system, sacrifices or feasts or certain, certain elements. You've got a circumcision, certain things. You've got to come back and do this because this is what saves you as opposed to Jesus. In a pluralistic society that they lived in, a Greek culture, there was also the tension of adding, okay, just one of the, we have all these many gods that we follow. Jesus is just one of many. And the book of Hebrews is going to help us begin to see that Jesus is not one of many. And that although systems are in place and they might model and be symbolic and point to Jesus, they are not a substitute for Jesus. They're not a substitute for Jesus or the work of Jesus. Jesus is better. Religious activity is not enough. A religious system is insufficient. It's about, not about a religious system, but it's about the person of Jesus that that system points to. So again, you can have a life filled with religious activity and still not know Jesus. You can have a set out to be a, a, a spiritual person. I'm spiritual but find that it's insufficient. It's insufficient for the peace that you need in your life. Still miss the point that the gospel is about a relationship with Jesus. So with that in mind, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to start right at the beginning. Hebrews chapter 1. And, and this letter, unlike others, there's not much of an introduction. It gets right into it. It gets right into the theme. It's like they're getting right into the thesis of the whole paper. The whole, the whole thing. And, and, and this is what it starts out. This is, this is what the writer writes. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact rep representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited, as the name he, in, he has inherited is superior to theirs. There's a lot packed into these four verses. There's a lot. The, the first thing that we see is a relational truth. God spoke. God spoke. God has spoken. Friends, God is not silent. God communicates with us. Right from the very beginning, we get the idea that God is relational and personal. God is relational and personal. He desires to connect with us. I don't know if you've ever thought that before. But, but being, being a, having a faith in God, having a faith in Him is an understanding that God is personal and that God 
speaks to us. He's a God who speaks to us that we might know him and love him and live in joyful obedience to him. The writer of Hebrews unpacks primarily the time period. In times past, what's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. In, time, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, the prophets, in many times in various ways. And again, throughout the Old Testament, there were various means in which God would speak. And in those ways, God would oftentimes speak to a person, a prophet, who would then take the message that they had received from God, and they would then share that with the people. That was, that was as a whole, one of the ways that God typically communicated with his people. He would inspire that spokesman. It was not God's way to write a message in the sky, uh, you know, for them to look up and see and everybody see the message that God wrote in the sky. It was not God's message to go from single heart to single heart in the inner, just in their sm still small voice speaking to every person individually. That's not the way it worked in the Old Testament. Primarily, he would speak through a, a prophet and call that prophet, and that prophet would go, would be the chosen instrument, and would begin to speak. And so that's what he says, through the prophets. But God speaks in other ways as well. Make no mistake about it. The scriptures are God-breathed. And God spoke to these prophets. These were, this was God speaking to them. In fact, 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy is ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of God is inerrant. It is truthful. It is because God is the one who inspired what was being penned through these writers and through these prophets. God spoke. God spoke. The message is from him. But that, that is not just through the prophets in various ways. Well, what are the, what are the various ways and, and the different ways that God speaks? What do we see? How do we see him speaking through the Old Testament? He speaks through different genres of, of writing from history to law, from poetry to song, from proverbs and visions, through rich symbolism of, of, of the tabernacle and sacrifices and feasts. But that's not all. How did God speak to Moses? Through a burning bush. There was a, a bush that burned and, 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 but did not burn up. How did God speak to Elijah? Through a still, small voice, right? God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. Isaiah received a vision from God. A vision from God of his train filling his robe, the train of his robe filling the temple. And, 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 and Isaiah falls on his face and, and, and uh, uh, woe is me, right? From a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. He speaks to him through a, a vision. He, God used a family crisis to speak through Hosea. Think about that. God used a basket of fruit to speak to Amos. And God even used a donkey to speak to Balaam. In various ways, in various times, God has spoken. Through the prophets, through these various ways, God has spoken. God has spoken. But then it says in the latter part of verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And that is absolutely critical. For as much as God tried to speak through the law and the symbolism of what was happening and to get people's attention through the prophets, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. He needed something more. And so he sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus became the final and spoken word of God. He wasn't just, he wasn't just speaking the message. Jesus was the message. Jesus was the message. 
And, 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 and sometimes we have a chance, we, we, we have a, a tendency, not a, a tendency, to, to not recognize who Jesus is. We have a tendency to, to look at Jesus as, as, as being common. Some people believe that Jesus was, was not really God, that he was just one of the prophets. But Jesus was not just one of the prophets. A story in the New Testament that, that illustrates this is, is found in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is going up on a mountain to pray. He takes with him uh, Peter, James, and John. They go up on the mountain with him. And, and something amazing happens. It says this, there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. And just then there appeared before Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter, Peter, you know Peter. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. You want to say, yeah, no kidding, Peter, right? Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, this is where he gets off. I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, again, who was Moses and Elijah? They were pillars of the Jewish faith, representing ways in which God had spoken in times past. Moses representing how God had given him the law written on tablets and to come down. Moses represented the law. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, representing the prophets. Here you have these two guys. But, but here's the problem. When Peter says this, he says, let's build three shelters. Let's honor George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and, and create a monument to them and we'll create one for you too Jesus and and here's the problem he was they was equating Jesus as being equal with Moses and Elijah but the problem was Jesus is not equal with Moses and Elijah Jesus is greater than the law and Jesus is greater than the prophets he is not like Moses or Elijah he is not just another prophet he is God he is the son of God Therefore, God the Father responds while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son and whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And then there's three words that I think we just all ought to listen to and follow and then we can just pray and go home. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Why do we listen to Jesus? Because according to the writer in Hebrews, Jesus is God's final word. He is the word. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. He is the, the logos. According to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. He is not just some prophet. He is not just some good teacher. Don't put him on the level of some just religious act. You know, this, just one of these religious gurus, you know, like, 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 like Gandhi or something like that. He, he is not. He is not. Jesus is the son of God. He is divine. He's not another prophet. He's in very nature, as we're going to see in a few moments in character, the very representation of God. Jesus didn't just bring the message from God. Jesus was the message from God. He's the word of God expressed to the very personality of God. And then the writer begins to unpack. And I'm going to go through these quickly because you're going to say, Pastor, you have seven points. I promise you. All right, I'm not going to keep you here all day. We're going to go quickly through these. But the writer unpacks, and I just think this is powerful. 
All right, just hang with me. This is really, really powerful. He begins to unpack seven characteristics of who Jesus is that make Jesus better, that highlight how Jesus is better, that Jesus is superior. And the first of these is Jesus is heir of all things. The second half of verse two, or first half of verse two, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. What does it mean that Jesus is heir of all things? What, is, what does that word heir mean? What it means is it, it all belongs to him. Jesus owns it all. Everything that we have in our universe, not just in our world, belongs to him. He is heir of all things. It belongs to him. He owns it all. Everything is under his authority to be directed as he sees fit. It echoes the words of Psalm 2.8. Ask me and I will make the nations an inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Friends, understand this. Jesus is heir. He is in control of all things. He owns all things. All things belong to him. That's why when you put your faith in Jesus, it says that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. He is heir of all things. He, he owns it all, but that's not all. Not only does he, he own it all, but he created it all. Jesus is creator. As we continue through verse 2, he's heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Jesus created it all. He is the creator. He created the very universe himself. Can I, just, can I just dispel something? Jesus is not a created being. Later he's going to talk about angels. Angels are created beings. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is the creator. Jesus didn't begin his existence when, when there was conception that happened in Mary's womb. When Jesus was in Mary's womb, he didn't begin to exist. He always existed. He always was. He is the creator of all things. John 1, 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And Paul writes in Colossians 1.16, for in him all things were created, things on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So not only do all things belong to him as an heir, but he is the creator of all things. It's been created through him and for him. Thirdly, Jesus is the revealer. He's the revealer. The son of God, verse three, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I don't know if you grasp how powerful of a truth this is. This is really powerful. Radiance reflects a shining forth of a source of light. If you look out at the sun, and I don't know the scientific stuff behind this. I'm not a scientist and all that. But we, we look up and we, we see this ball in the sky. What we're actually looking at are the radiant beams that are coming from the sun. We're not actually seeing the sun as it is. We're seeing the radiance of the sun. You see, when Jesus Christ, the creator, came and he allowed himself to come and to take on flesh and blood and for us to see him, we were able to see the radiance of God's glory. We were able to see an exact representation of who God is. Jesus reveals to us an exact reflection of who our heavenly father is. The Greek word character, and it actually is spelled a little bit different, 
is translated exact imprint. That's the word that's being used here. It's kind of like a stamp that they would use when they would put a seal. They would have hot wax and they'd have a stamp that had that seal and that representation. And when they put that stamp down into the hot wax and lifted it up, there would be an exact representation in that wax of that stamp. That's the illustration that we have of who Jesus is, an exact representation of God, our Heavenly Father. And when you combine that with the Greek word uh, hypostasis, it, 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 this, this kind of hypostatic union, it's a fancy way of saying that Jesus is both God and man. Both God and man. As man, an exact representation of his Heavenly Father, Christ the divine. Again, in John 14, 9, Jesus said this to Philip. Philip's like, how do we know the Father? And, and Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Understand that when we read the Gospels and we read about Jesus and we see his character, what we were seeing is an exact representation of our Heavenly Father, of God. Number four, this is really powerful. Jesus is the sustainer. Jesus is the sustainer. Uh, Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Or I love how another translation puts it, by the word of his power. Jesus sustains all things. He is not only the creator, but he sustains his creation by the very word of his power. He holds all things together. He is not a man and he is not just a prophet. He is distinct. He is separate. He is divine. And the word is the world that we live in, in our world and who we are is held together by the word of his power. He is the sustainer. That's what's so powerful about trusting Jesus. You see, when you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to struggle anymore to hold our world together. Some of you have the stress of trying to hold your world together. You think that your world is held together by your strength and your power and your wisdom and your decisions and, and you, your control and that you got the ability to have, you're all stressed out. You're trying to hold your work together. You're trying to hold your family together. You're trying to hold your finances together. You're trying to hold it. I'm trying to hold it all together. Friends, understand something. You don't have the strength to hold it all together. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. That is why Jesus is better. Putting our faith in Jesus is turning it over and allowing Jesus to hold together and sustain our world. He can hold the world together. If he can hold the world together, friends, he can hold your life together. And the things that he chooses to not hold together, to let fall, probably need to fall anyway. Probably need to be let go. That is the Jesus we serve. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. Number five, Jesus is the redeemer. After he had provided, verse uh, three, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let's just back up for a moment. He provided purity for sins. How did he do that? Through his blood. In a few moments at the end, we're going we're gonna to receive communion together. And it's a reminder that our, our sins, 
have been forgiven and our lives have been made pure and our lives have been made holy because Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. And this is an indication as we're going to find out later when we talk about the, the priesthood and who he was as our great high priest. That the high priest would, would take the blood of the sacrifice and would, would go into the Holy of Holies and, and would begin to, to, to sprinkle it into the Holy of Holies. And, and there he would make atonement for the sins of the people. Right there, he would, at the mercy seat, he would sprinkle the blood and make atonement for the people. And this is an indication of Jesus as high priest before Hebrews even begins to unpack it. That's what Jesus did. Not only was he the Lamb of God, who was the perfect and pure sacrifice to take away the sins of the world, but as he died, literally he took his blood and began to sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, therefore purifying us of our sins and making us right with God. <laughs> I love it. Hebrews 10.10 10 later is going to tell us, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He purifies us of all sin. Jesus is the redeemer. Number six, Jesus is the ruler. It says that after he provided purification for sin... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You know what that means when he sat down at the majesty of heaven? It means that he is above it all. He is the ruler of all things. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He rules and he reigns. There is no one higher than our God. There is no one higher than our God. Come on. We sang it before, right? There is no one greater than he. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. You need to understand that it might be over your head, but friends, it's under his feet. It might be over your head, but it's under his feet because he is the ruler of all things. Ultimately, the writer wants us to know, number seven here, that Jesus is superior. He is supreme. He became much more superior to the angels as a name he has inherited as superior to theirs. Friends, there's nothing in all creation that surpasses Jesus. He reigns above it all. There's a worship song I love to listen to. You reign above it all, you reign above it all, over the universe and every, everything. He reigns above it all. There is no worldview, there is no religious system, there is no idol, there is no philosophy, there is no educated guru, there is no wisdom of man, there is no angel that is greater than Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Now back in the day, people elevated the worship of angels. They believed that, that angels were something spectacular. And, and certainly when they would show up, uh, people would fear because they'd say, no fear. You know, oh, no, do not fear. They, they might have been angelic, glorious beings. Today, I don't know a whole lot of people that are elevating angels. I mean, you know, you have a few TV shows, you know, that kind of, you know, try to pretend what it is, but they're not majestic. Back in the day, angels, ooh, angels, angels, angels. The writer of Hebrews is telling us, listen, 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 listen. listen. Angels are created beings. What we're talking about with Jesus, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better. Whatever you elevate, Jesus is better. 
Whatever you choose to elevate, whatever you think is, is great, whatever you think is the next best and greatest thing, whatever you put your faith in, whatever you put your hope in, whether that is a, a, a religious system or whether that's a religious heritage, well, when I grew up, I was this, and when I grew up, I was that, or, you know, this or that, uh, I, I, you know, I, I have this that I hang on to, or I go here for my wisdom, or I go there for wisdom. I'm going to tell you something, friends. The Bible is going to tell us, and Hebrews is going to tell us, Jesus is supreme, Jesus is better than any of that. Jesus is better than anything we elevate or trust. And so as we close today, worship team, will you come? I want to ask this question before we enter into communion. And I want to ask this, what is supreme to you? When, when, when you are stressed and when you are anxious, when you have a problem, what do you go to? What, is your, what have you elevated to the place of putting your trust in. What is supreme to you? When you think about uh, the idea of eternity, what do, you, uh, what do you justify as to, well, if I die, <laughs> if I die, what do I justify? What would I give as the reason that I should spend eternity in heaven with Jesus? I'm so sorry, I keep kicking this thing. What, what is it? What is it? What's the answer that you give? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. So you elevate your ability to be good and morality as the reason when you stand before God that you ought to be in eternity. When you're stressed, when you have a problem to solve, do you, who do you look to? What do you look to? For the answer to your need and your problem. If you elevate, what have you elevated? If, if, in fact, if I were to, to ask the question, what is Jesus, for them, angels. And, and Hebrews says, Jesus is so much better than the angels. What is it for you? I doubt if today it's angels. But for you, what do you consider to be so much better? Because friends, I want us to understand today that there is nothing that compares to our God. There is nothing that compares to Jesus. There is no one that compares to Jesus. There's not a religious system that compares to Jesus. It's not about a system and it's not about a heritage. Well, I grew up in church. Good. What are you doing now? Who do you trust now? Well, I, I was, you know, I, I, was, I was baptized. Good. But do you trust Jesus now? Do you trust Jesus? Where's your relationship with Jesus at? Now, is Jesus supreme in your life? Is he supreme? Is he your redeemer? Is he your sustainer? Is, is he your revealer? Do you trust him as your creator? Do you recognize that he's the heir of all things, that he owns it all and can provide for anything that you need? <laughs> who, who is Jesus to you? Does he have the supreme place in your heart? Let's bow our heads. Before we, we receive communion together, let's just bow our hearts right now. And, our, and I, I just want to ask you, is Jesus supreme in your life? Is Jesus supreme 
in your life? Have, have, you, have, have you experienced the, the redemption of Jesus Christ? Is he your redeemer? Do you know him as your sustainer? Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know him? I'm not talking about a religious system. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a particular church. I'm talking about do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And if you don't today, I would, I would love to invite you to receive Jesus into your life. Or maybe you need to just spend a moment and rededicate and say, Jesus, I, 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 I was once with you and I have trusted all these other things, but I got to get my, my heart right with you today. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? If you're online, will you let us know in the comments? I, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to be supreme in my life. I want to invite Jesus into my life into my heart today hallelujah hallelujah let's pray jesus we thank you today for your goodness and your greatness we just we celebrate you are god you are supreme there is none like you and jesus we just commit our heart and our life to you today jesus we just come and we ask you to forgive us of our sin today to cleanse us today and to to come into our lives and be supreme in our lives we give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's take the elements of communion as we remember the redemption of Christ today. And again, we read a few moments ago that, that, that in Hebrews 10.10 10, that, that by that we will have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The sacrifice of his body. That's why Paul writes that, that I received from the Lord that which also I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave because he is supreme and he is redeemer. Father, thank you for your body today. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you. Jesus, for what you did in giving your life for us. We ask you right now, Jesus, to just remind us over and over again that our faith is in you, that you are the sustainer, you are the creator, you create life by your stripes, we are healed, that Lord, we can trust you for the wholeness that we need through your broken body. Thank you for giving your life for us in Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive together. cup represents his blood scripture says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin Jesus shed his blood and then took that and sprinkled it upon the mercy seat and when he did the curtain in the temple that, that kept everyone out except the high priest who had to be purified himself make atonement for himself first Jesus was sinless he didn't have to do that could enter in and find help in their time of need how many of you grateful for the blood of Jesus and for the redemption in the same way after supper he took the cup this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you drink eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Jesus we thank you for shedding your blood so that we might have redemption and Lord you have taken your place at the right hand of the father Therefore, you are ruler of all things. You reign above it all. You are above all and over all. 
and we give you all the honor and the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.